0: of all names we want to remember that especially today in this service we'll be talking about this jesus there's just something about that name master savior is he your savior is he your lord now before you answer that let's go with the scripture today and see how much he is our lord Kings and kingdoms, we must remember this, will all pass away. All this on earth, is going to pass away. But there's something about that now. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. And we're going to be talking about discipleship today. Discipleship. Matthew chapter eight, and we'll be looking at verses eighteen through twenty-two. Matthew chapter eight. Well, we'll we'll go ahead and read the passage that because it kind of goes with it. That uh, uh, because of the setting, and and we'll be talking about the uh, the uh, verses twenty-three through twenty-seven. So I'll go ahead and rem- uh, read that with the passage since it goes with. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side. And a certain scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. If we're believers in Jesus Christ, then that is really what we said when we came to the Lord. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have hoes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. That sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? We'll talk about that. And when he had gotten to the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold... There arose a great storm in the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he himself was asleep, and they came to him and awoke him, saying, Sir, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you so timid, you men of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men marveled, saying, What kind of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him, his authority. Obey him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for the music. I want to thank you for the uh, recognition that we had, the accomplishment of Ben and so many of them that's gone the same route in this uh, church. I, I thank you for the determination that they had and the dedication and the commitment to follow through with it. And the witness that they remained as, as far as being a believer and a follower of yours and demonstrating that, I thank you for that. I thank you for the family that has, and families that put these through the school. And now, dear Lord, I just pray that You'll be with us as we look at this passage. I want us to focus in on you and you alone. I want us to focus on what you have to say. I want us to focus in on how you want us to look at this. In other words, what's going on in our lives, how you want to deal with our hearts and our lives. God, I can't do that. I can share the word, preach the message, but, and I just pray for your anointing upon that. But as far as, touching the lives you're going to have to do that and and so lord i just pray that uh with the help from you to preach the word of god the way that you would have me to i pray that there'll be a special anointing from you so they'll be effective the holy spirit will be able to speak to our hearts and direct our lives the way that we need to be directed thank you god for this time this opportunity and may you be lifted up through it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now we have completed the Sermon on the Mount. He's come down off the sermon. The next section in Matthew dealt with the theme, what? In the Word. In other words, he began to teach the Word of God. Now he is demonstrating the Word of God. We're introduced to this in chapter uh 7 verses 28 through 29. And all of these deal with the same thing. And the word that we need to look at today. And we need to remember. And that is in verses 28 and 29. The result was that when Jesus had finished these words. The multitudes were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he was teaching them as one having what authority and not as the scribes now the scribes had a certain authority designated to them because of their position to teach the word but this was a unique special powerful authority something different and of course it had to be something different because he was different he was the son of god so he did this, the word that you need to remember throughout this sermon is authority. It's so very important. This is where the Sermon of the Mount, we have just finished it. Chapter 8, you begin with a series of miracles that are happening because of his authority. You have a leper who is healed, the ser- servant of a centurion who was healed, By him just speaking the word. Authority is the issue. That is made clear. And it will fall over into the message that we look at next week when he steals the storm. So, it is made clear that Jesus has the unilateral authority to heal diseases to teach the word like they've never heard it before. And to perform all kinds of miracles. When Jesus speaks, even diseases and demons obey his voice. The leper comes and Jesus heals him of his leprosy. The satyrian comes and he approaches Jesus with a faith like Jesus says he's not seen yet. And he heals The servant from a distance you see in John 1 1 we're told in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God and all things came into being by him and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being that is very important because that tells us that here we have the agent of creation and by the word Speaking it, creation came into existence, authority that only comes from God. The authority is such that God says, let there be light, and there was light. All he had to do was speak the word, and there was light. The separation of day or dry land and water happened by his word. We've got to understand that and believe it, people, or we're going to be defeated Christians. And I'm afraid that that's what's happening today. We understand in John 1 that the Son of the Father uh, is the Father's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the instrument of the Father in creation. He spoke the Word with God. God, the Trinity, and the Word came about. In Matthew, or the world came about. In Matthew, Jesus speaks the Word, and the centurion's servant is healed. He understood the pattern of authority, because he was a man of authority. But this is unique. When he, the centurion, spoke, the soldiers under him obeyed, and the servants. spoke also did likewise but he marveled at jesus authority jesus marveled at him as, as as having the faith that he he had but jesus this centurion marveled at jesus authority he knew that he could heal him even by speaking he couldn't heal his servant but jesus could it was a unique and wonderful and powerful authority The issue is authority. So the first thing that we need to look at is discipleship calls, listen very carefully, for God to be unconditionally first. Unconditionally first in our lives. Now what does that mean? That means without any conditions. We don't put any conditions on God unconditionally doesn't matter what we want well God I'll follow you as we'll look at in a few moments but let me bury the dead first God I'll do this God I'll nope unconditionally first in our lives but with that for that to happen for that to happen we've got to understand the issue of authority And by that I mean, it's not our authority. When we're running our families, it's the issue of authority, God's authority, not ours. The authority, yes, that God gives to us as parents and as husband and wife, but no, uh uh-uh. uh. The authority that we are to live by is the authority of God's Word. Amen? And that means in the family, that means in our businesses if we're to run the business the way that we should and operate in a a business-like atmosphere the way that we should, we've got to realize God's authority. And to do the things the way that God would have us to do them. If we're to be involved in any other activities, whether in school, whether out of school, whatever it might be, We've got to recognize God's authority. So the first thing is discipleship calls for God to be unconditionally first in our lives. And for that to happen, for that to occur, we've got to understand his authority. Or we're going to be running our lives. And I'm afraid that's what happens so often, isn't it? I know it does with me, and I know it does with you. We wrestle with this. The healing here was important, the physical healing. That was definitely important. But the bigger issue here, the issue bigger than physical healing, is the issue of authority. The issue is when Jesus does speak the word, the one with leprosy was healed. The issue is when Jesus spoke the word, the centurion's servant was healed. The issue is when Jesus spoke the word, the demons. Flee. Authority is first of all. We got to know who Jesus is. He is to be Lord of our life. He is God the son. Secondly. It is seen in his teaching. We need to understand the word of God. And may I say that. When understanding the word of God. It does not mean that we're to separate. The Old Testament from the New Testament. But see how the New Testament the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. You don't do away with half of your Bible because Jesus has come. You teach it and you receive it and you live it as a whole unit. Because this is God's Word. And if you don't, understand, or if you don't believe in the authority of the Word of God and if you don't believe that God's Word is God's Word then you need to be born again. I'm sorry, you need to be born again. You can't just say a prayer and think that your prayer is saving you. Jesus is saving you in his fulfillment of the Redeemer that was to come from the Old Testament. Authority. There's different kinds of authority. There is the authority that comes from office. We know that. No better example than the Office of Presidency, right? When you are the President of the United States, what happens? You're invested with Constitutional Authority, right? Now, Constitutional Authority also comes with symbolic authority. By that I mean when the President enters a room for a special gathering, what happens a lot of times? They'll play hell to the chief. Now, when we enter the room, if we're invited there, do they play it for us? No. I dare not say they will. By constitutional authority, the president is the commander-in-chief of all the military. The president has all sorts of authority. But that authority is what? In the office and not in the man. People, the Bible speaks of different authority in the office. We have policemen, don't we? We're to respect that authority. We have government. We're to respect that authority. We have family. There's authority in the family, and we should respect that. And then there's authority that's supposed to be in the church, and we're to respect that. You see, but the next, that's just with the office. The next moment or the next president that comes in, the moment that the old one leaves, when he enters a room and that special engagement is there, he's just there like any other person is there. Yes, he's the ex-president, but they're not playing that for him then. They're playing it for the new president. Their authority is in the office, not the person. But there is... A second authority. And that second authority that comes with the person. And that is kind of, we'll call it a charismatic authority. It just happens when certain people say something. It carries a certain weight. Usually this authority is there because of the expertise of that person. When they have a certain expertise. Do you remember the uh, old advertisement? that uh, said when E.F. Hutton speaks, people what? They listen. I remember on commercial, everybody get E.F. Hutton. They get quiet. Why? Well, the the slogan dealt with expertise. In other words, if you wanted to know about investments, go to E.F. Hutton, to their expertise. And I guess you could say we could do it with different offices, like a doctor, right? And the expertise, if he's telling you something, you want to listen to him. You don't want to listen to your lawyer if you're sick, right? You want to go to a doctor and listen to him. And vice versa, if you've got some kind of legal matter, you don't want to go to your doctor and listen to him. He doesn't have the authority, you want to go to your lawyer. With different areas of life, you notice different people with different authority. There are even people who speak with more authority than others because of their tone. I remember certain preachers that used to just love to hear Adrian Rogers speak. And everybody just sat there and listened. And and one preacher told me one time, he said, Hey, you know, if I could imagine how God would sound, he would be pretty close to it. He's got such a demanding voice, a voice to listen to. Sometimes we recognize authority because, as I said, of its constitution. Sometimes because we have no choice to, but there's some blue lights behind us. And we stop and listen to that voice, that authority. And then there's authority that comes with the person. It may, you know, it may even come with their looks. Some people just tall and you know, authoritative looking, and you just kind of listen to what they have to say. They may not have anything to say, but you listen. It may involve the very, you know, the very well they, uh, way they carry themselves. But when you think about God, what is the ultimate issue concerning authority? It has to do with the fact of the one living true God, the creator of all that there is the Redeemer, He is the ultimate and only authority, the authority within Himself. The self-existent, self-revealing God, He is the authority. When it comes to authority, it is God who is the indispensable one. He is the one that we must obey must obey, going back to discipleship calls for God to be unconditionally first. But in understanding that, we must first understand authority. He is the one that we need to understand and how we are to obey and acknowledge Him. Since He is God and has spoken to us, and this is His Word, And people, that's why I said it's so important to understand that this is his word. Then this word comes to us with authority like no other book, right? Like no other text. It is a text that comes to us not only from men who wrote these words, but from the one God who inspired these words by way of the Holy Spirit so that they would write exactly what God wanted them to write. When Jesus came as the incarnate word, speaking the words in the Sermon on the Mount, demonstrating his authority through the healings, he revealed to us that he had authority like no other. And this is a divine logos speaking here. Of course he speaks, it says, as one who has authority, not as the scribe. It is the authority of who he is. It is the authority of God. Jesus is here speaking and acting with God's authority alone. Now, what immediately follows, in verses, four, or follows verses 14 through 17 is a passage uh, that is often taken out of context and misunderstood. So, we need to make a special effort to keep the passage in its context. This leads us to the next point and that is for God to be unconditionally first we need to begin by counting the cost of discipleship. Man, you need to do that. First of all, you need to know that he is the one who has the authority, the direction, the one who will be leading us, the one who should be controlling us. Second of all, we need to know that it is brings with it a cost he says now when jesus saw a crowd around him he gave orders to depart to the other side and a certain scribe came and said to him teacher i will follow you wherever you go and jesus said to him the foxes have holes the birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head and another disciple said to him lord permit me first to go to bury my father but jesus said to him follow me And allow the dead to bury their own dead. Remember that Jesus here is speaking to avoid misunderstanding. He doesn't want them to think that this is just something that is a miracle worker type of situation. He's not just going around with the fanfare and the hoopla and and all this excitement. He says there's much more involved in it than than that. This is why here Jesus has given orders to his disciples to depart from the crowd to the other side because they were beginning to follow him in that way. This is why he had earlier told the uh, leper who uh, had, had been healed, he said, go and, and be cleansed, but tell no one. Why? Because he knew that he was gaining, uh, you know, a lot of popularity through this healing, and people were coming, and he didn't want it to become a miracle worker type of situation. So when he gave these orders, a scribe, one who had the responsibility of making sure the scriptures were applied right, Comes to Jesus and says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' response to him, it sounds a little strange. He says, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I've felt that the last few days. And this, sound, you know, this sounds good. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, he's coming to him with excitement. He's, he's caught up in the moment. And Jesus knows that he is. He knows our hearts. He knows exactly what's involved there. And so here was a scribe, a man of the Word, listening to Jesus teach, and uh, seeing Jesus perform miracles like he did. He had never seen anything like that. And he had been around the Pharisees and teaching uh, you know, all his life, and he had never heard any scribe or Pharisee teach with that kind of authority. And the scribe had never seen people healed by that kind of authority. And it was like, it would be like you and I, that we'd get caught up in the celebration of miracles and, and the, the, the powerful teaching. And we would have said, Jesus, wherever you're going, I'll follow you. How many in this service have ever experienced a moment maybe similar to that where you've gotten caught up in the spirit? You've gotten caught up in the moment. I mean, God's dealt with you. It may have been years ago. God dealt with you in a special way. And you, for the first time since Jesus, wasn't just some historical figure. I mean, really, maybe you had made a professional faith, but it, it wasn't some historical figure. Was, he wasn't some myth. It wasn't some legend. You knew that. You knew it for sure. For the first time, you sensed his presence In a unique and powerful way. In a way that you've never experienced him before. His power laid hold of of your life in such a way that you said, Jesus, man, I love you. I love you with all my heart and I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. But what happened? Then your feet hit the ground. Reality set in, and maybe you didn't count the cost. And you said, what's wrong? Man, we need this. I need to recapture this moment. I need to recapture this music. I need to recapture this feeling in my life. We didn't count the cost. Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Well, the foxes, they have holes, the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Does Jesus get all excited about this excited scribe? Does it inflate his ego? No. Jesus says, hey, he's basically saying, nothing wrong with your confession, but I want you to first count the cost. Don't let it be just an impulsive decision. What Jesus is telling the disciples is, I want you to follow me when I make no promises at all. Are you willing to follow Jesus when he makes no promises at all? What do you mean by that, Mike? Are you willing to follow Jesus when he doesn't make a promise that he's going to give you a better paying job? Are you willing to follow Jesus when he doesn't guarantee you a bigger home, more beautiful place? Are you willing to follow Jesus when he doesn't promise you a nicer car, shiny new vehicle, or prettier clothes, or more money? Or even our health getting better? Are you willing to follow Jesus when he's made no promises in any of those areas? The, the Lord wants an unconditional commitment, which means that you'll have to become uncomfortable at times when God calls are we willing to go even when he gives us no additional data about his calling God wants us to follow because of who he is God wants a priority the position of life I, I've heard preachers and, and don't get me wrong I'm glad that some stay in their location but I've heard some preachers say you know I felt called in ministry, but I'm going to stay here near home. What about if Jesus leads you to Africa? Tim could tell you about that when he gets back. Or (laughs) he leads you to South America, or he leads you to California, that country. What about that? And your home is over here. Do you really feel called to? In the ministry? he You know, we put limitations on God so often. And I want to tell you, it wasn't the easiest thing. I'd never moved out of Rome. Debbie had moved different places, but I'd never moved out of Rome. When we packed up that that, uh, U-Haul and we put everything in it that we could and we had all the men there to slide the door down and push against it to keep everything in because it wasn't just our house. It was another preacher's home in there, too. And head to a place, a foreign country that I'd never been before, Dallas, Texas. Man, it was, it was different leaving a home that I'd grown up in. Now, it was harder probably for me than her. Because my roots were down deep. But was I willing? Had God really called me? Was I going? Rip can talk, can tell you something about that as he's traveled not only in this country, but all over. Are we willing? The Lord wants an unconditional commitment, which means that you will become uncomfortable at times. You know, impressive words of affirmation, they're easy to make, aren't they? Especially when one does not know the cost of the commitment involved. Oh, I'll do it. I'll do whatever. Man, it's hard to get anybody to do anything anymore, isn't it? Get some people If you've got a project here, get some people usually to help you and see. And it's this way in every church. You see, commitment includes self-denial, sacrifice, and quite possibly suffering. The scribe was loyal only to his own comfort sugarcoating the message of the gospel, trying to make it appear to be less demanding than it is, or even not even demanding at all, which we try to do so often, I think, not only compromises God's word and does in disservice to the Lord, but also does disservice to those whom we witness to. Those who quickly go off, into a life of sin, hiding it and uh, leading a life that is lying about it, is a life that is compromising God and his word and doing disservice to God and especially not only to God but his witness here there's no thrill like the joy of knowing and following Christ, oh man when you know that he is there and you're doing what he, uh, he wants you to do but it's not a thrill that the world can understand they just won't buy into it the Christian life is not adding Jesus to one way of life but renouncing that personal way of life for his way and being willing to pay whatever cost that may require let me end and we'll get to the second point next week but let me end with this we've got to remember that this ship that we are sailing on isn't a luxury liner, cruise ship. It's a battleship. And Satan doesn't want you to count the cost. What is Christianity costing you today? Is your Christianity costing you anything? You see if our Christianity is painless all the time and costless, listen very carefully. If our Christianity is mostly and has been, maybe all the time, painless and costless, and by that, I mean getting out of our comfort zone and doing things for the Lord. doesn't mean sacrificing our lives then if it's always been that way, then it may be counterfeit. It may be counterfeit. What is it with you today? Let's go to the Lord in prayer.